So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What makes you stand out amongst other lenders? What regions are you focused on? What's the weirdest loan you have to process? What are you seeing in the market? What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell us about your underwriting process. How did you get into the lending space? This is BIPS, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zarbler and your host, and this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yako Zar. Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic? Michael Ramin is the head of business development at Share States. Since taking over this position in 2014, Michael has created alliances with some of the country's largest real estate developers and investors. To date, Michael's team has closed over $2.5 billion in loan volume nationwide. Prior to Share States, Michael managed over 4,000 commercial and industrial properties with the Metropolitan Transportation Authority of New York. Michael negotiated the acquisition and disposition of properties requisite to expanding and improving the transportation network for the MTA. Michael's extensive knowledge and experience in sales and marketing have helped ShareStates become one of the nation's largest private lenders in the real estate industry. With ShareStates, Michael recently funded several residential properties across New York and New Jersey and the United States, as well as a multifamily property in Brooklyn for $1.9 million, a $1.7 million loan on a mixed-use property in Newark, New Jersey, and a fix-and-flip multifamily property loan in Brooklyn for $2.1 million. Michael, it's truly been a wild ride these past few months. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about ShareStates' platform? Of course. Thank you guys for having me on today. Uh, I'd love to share some more about ShareStates as well. Last couple months have definitely been a wild ride, but I'll take you guys back to the beginning, I guess. Uh, ShareStates itself started about six years ago as a real estate crowdfunding platform. Back then, about 100 companies popped up into the space. The idea for share states in the beginning was to be an equity platform. So people would be able to come in and as little as $100 invest in real estate. The idea was great and a lot of people loved it. Most of the investors we were working with preferred to be on the debt side. We transferred the idea onto the debt side for the real estate crowdfunding. We started working with private families, family offices, and accredited investors through our platform. And we started growing a nice origination base on that. Fast forward a year into that, our originations were a lot higher than our friends, families, et cetera, had money to do. So we went the institutional route and we signed up our first institution back then. They gave us $30 million. Wow. And back then we put it out in about, I think it was about four weeks, we put out all $30 million. As we worked with that investor, new investors started coming on based on our track record. Uh, we kept growing it. Mm-hmm. The idea from the beginning was to work with the fix and flip market. That was what was popular back then. So one to four family properties. But as our borrowers grew in their business, we wanted to grow with them. So we went from that one to four family, we got into smaller multifamily mixed use properties, and that kept growing. We got into commercial, so warehouse, office, and even some retail. And as we grew more in those spaces with our borrowers, we got into ground up as they started developing. And the platform grew even more from there. As you guys mentioned before, through all those product types and through the national platform, We've lent out uh, a little over $2.5 billion in the last three and a half years. And we're working on growing the platform now. We were on a little bit of a pause because of uh, the coronavirus and the effects around the country just to see what was going on with the market. But we are working with our investors now. We recently put out new programs. We've closed several loans in the last couple of weeks in the Northeast region where some investors are still scared of just based on opening times. And 
we are moving forward just based on our underwriting and our track record. That's awesome. And we're looking to push it out again. So we're pretty excited. Michael, thanks for that background. Sure. You know, on that topic of coronavirus and, you know, sort of the economy and world today, how has that affected you guys in terms of what you lend on and sort of your perspective on the market? Has it affected you guys at all? Has your business changed since then? Uh, yes, we've definitely changed our business a bit based on the market the last couple of months. When the virus still first came in and they started the quarantine in New York, all investors pulled back for about a month and a half. And it was more about, I don't think it was about fear, it was more about uncertainty. So not knowing how long this is going to take, where the market's going to go, is going to go up or down, what's going to go on with commercial, what's going to go on with residential. I think people have gotten a little bit of that, and it's definitely changed the landscape a little bit. On our end, we've we've lowered leverages. We've taken some programs away for now, and I think you'll see some of them coming back within you know the next thirty to ninety days. But the, there was definitely a shift. I think right now it's a lot more popular for residential properties. So one to four family fix and flips have definitely gained popularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, just having a shortage in the housing market in general. You see a lot of investors going after that, people leaving big cities. You were quarantined for the last, you know, two, three months on the 18th floor apartment with two kids, you know, in a two to three bedroom building or apartment. Chances are you would not want to be stuck in that situation again with kids. Yeah. So a lot of people, even during this quarantine or during this time, have actually moved out of cities into homes that were recently flipped. So that's become very popular. And people are still looking for those just based on the housing shortage you will see a lot of people going. Another reason for that push to those outer neighborhoods outside of cities is a lot of companies are going to be allowing people to work from home, whether it's five days or two days. If you're commuting less days, you're not concerned about being that close to Manhattan or you know Jersey City or wherever it is. So I think you're going to see a big popularity in that. And in other places, I think you're going to see multifamily still tend to grow, like in the South, Southwest, Southeast. Um, those were popular before. I think they're going to rise in popularity. It was lower rents, not far from cities, and garden-style apartments where you still had outdoor space. So I think you're going to see those growing as well. That's awesome. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I agree with a lot of that. Well, first of all, in general, what do you guys lend on? What do you like to lend on? You know, What are you hoping as this situation evolves and things stabilize a little bit? What types of deals should the client think or a borrower think, you know, let me take this to share states? So as the company grew in the last six years, as I mentioned, we did go from experienced borrowers to bringing more novice and first-time borrowers in for a lower leverage and a higher rate. And we've changed that recently where only working with experienced investors. Instead of doing all property types right now, we're focusing on one to four, multifamily, and mixed use. We'll do case-by-case depending on how big the residential uh, commercial space is. So we want to make sure the majority of the rents coming to that property are still coming from the residential side. And, you know continue working on that. One of our most popular programs was our long-term rental program before coronavirus hit. We anticipate bringing back that 30-year program by the end of June with similar parameters than before, obviously some changes. Uh, biggest change we've seen on all programs, you'll see haircuts on leverage from anywhere from 5 to 10%. And most investors are requiring an interest reserve. So whether it's three, six, or nine months, and on refis going all the way up to 12 months, holding a full interest reserve for the time of that bridge loan. You're seeing it on the rental loans as well. Even though you're showing income, they're still going to want to see some sort of interest reserve. So those are the biggest things. And they're looking at very experienced borrowers and they're looking at their liquidity. And one of the other things they changed, we were able to go down to 620 credit for borrowers. They've raised that minimum from 620 to 680. So it, that's a bit of a change as well. Oh, wow. 
And can you tell us a little bit about your loan process? What are the steps to get a loan closed with you? Sure. So ShareState is very big on technology. We start off as a fintech company. And the idea was to, for our borrowers, I mean, the typical fix and flip borrower is buying anywhere between two to, you know, we have guys that buy 100 properties a year. So the whole idea was to make their process easier, whether it was applying online, being able to see their loan servicing, their draws, uploading documents for a loan, et cetera, was to use our platform, our technology. Mm -hmm. So borrowers can still send in like a PDF application to us, but we prefer when borrowers create an account on our website, you're able to go on there, put in your loan application, and we're able to send you a term sheet right through the platform where you can e-sign it and, you know, put in your credit information and your personal credit information to start the process. The whole concept and idea behind this was to create a profile for a borrower. Mm -hmm. So most of our borrowers are repeat borrowers. So the idea was to have them go on. And once you had a borrower's track record, their experience, and you're able to have more of their entity docs and all the other items that you need to clear the underwriting on a loan, you'd be able to speed up the process for that borrower in the future. So that's a big thing with us is the technology. The process is still pretty simple. On the bridge side, if you were to apply, you get inside, get a term sheet, have it signed. From there, we'd send you out a stip list. So essentially, simple items from your license, your entity docs, a contract if it's a purchase, your rehab budget if it's a value-add property. And outside of that, they're going to verify your experience, liquidity. And uh, essentially, from there, they verify everything and take it to a closing. There are some other aspects, obviously, from ordering the appraisal. Some projects doing secondary review, doing construction reviews to make sure your budget is adequate on larger projects. So there's a lot of other steps within that. Right. But the idea is to have the borrower involved and be able to upload most of that. If it's a borrower that's closing within the same entity, I don't have to keep asking him for his entity docs. They're already in our system. He just clicks on that entity, uploads his new contract and his rehab budget, and he's typically ready to go. So the technology aspect has been great. It works great on the loan servicing side as well. So people want to put in draw requests, make payments, change their payment due date. We understand that a lot of borrowers that are building their rental portfolio or doing construction, they they rely on income from the other properties or, or jobs. So we have a 10-day grace period on our loans. A lot of borrowers are able to change their payment due date from like the 1st to the 7th, make sure they get their rents in to be able to pay their mortgages. So the whole idea is to work with our clients and make the process. That's awesome. It sounds like you guys have some really awesome technology that really brings value to the client. I think that there's definitely an evolution that needs to happen. It's been a little bit slow. And it sounds like you guys are really leading the way in terms of driving that experience. If you already have something, let's just uh, let's be able to easily pull it up rather than requesting it again or putting it into another request list or even going through old emails, you know, through hundreds of emails to try to find the right piece of information. That's awesome. But Michael, I also understand that you have experience before share states working as a real estate manager for the MTA. We'd love to hear a little bit about that, about your experience and background there. What was that like? Yeah, of course. It was definitely something that kind of fell in my lap. Mm -hmm. I graduated from Baruch College with the real estate capstone program over there. And it seemed like an interesting experience at the time. So I had the job. I was there for about six, seven years. And it's definitely a different side of the world. So <laughs> some things I never expected or learned about, you know, no idea essentially on any of it. So uh, it's definitely very cool. Wow. You got in there and you never realized, and I don't think a lot of people realize that MTA is one of the largest landowners in the U.S. Or not in the U.S., in New York. So every train track, every station house, every train road, et cetera, is typically owned by them. Uh, obviously, there's different caveats in different areas. Like uh, Long Island Railroad doesn't own Penn Station that's owned by Amtrak. There's a uh, hundred different 
easements, leases, et cetera, to use different areas for all of them. Metro North owns you know, Grand Central Terminal. So they all run off different things. There's all different things to be managed, but it's crazy to see how it, everything operates. It's pretty cool. Wow. The largest, I guess, tenant base was for the MTA was you had the utility company. So every pole, pipe, and wire agreement, et cetera, ran on their properties. A lot of stuff that people didn't know. So those run along the train lines that go up and down. And then you have the, you know, anywhere from the newsstands to you have stuff at Columbus Circle where you have the shop set up there um, and going all the way down to, you know, lower Manhattan where they rebuilt a lot of the train stations as well. So all that stuff was stuff in the works during that process. And that's why the tenant mix to a lot of people looking at it doesn't seem that big because a lot of it is underground. So whether it's having cables run through, um, you know, train tracks and tunnels underground so you have cell phone service. A lot of that stuff is still a tenanted use out to one of the utility or, you know, cell phone providers. Wow. It's a world you never think about. You know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a different world. Right. And also the advertising is one of the biggest things. So every every train became especially a billboard. So whether you're at a train station, um, they had big agreements with large advertising companies. And that's where you saw everything. So that was part of the real estate department as well. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Michael, thanks for sharing that. It's very interesting to hear how you started out in the industry. So one of our favorite questions to ask is, what's your weirdest loan story or weirdest loan you had to process? Sure. <laughs> this one's actually hilarious. <laughs> when we first started out and we started working with people outside of our circle, we started taking loan applications you know, all over. And one of the biggest things in our process is when a person does get an accepted term sheet, the first things we run are their credit and their background. And one of the bars actually had a real estate track record. But he was recently released from jail and he had a murder on his background. Wow. So it was one loan that no one actually wanted to make the phone call <laughs> to deny the loan, but we had to deny it. It doesn't fall in the <laughs> Oh my God. Well, that's why you have the technology, Michael. Avoid the murderous phone call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So there was a, I guess a lot of people call it a killer loan, but. We didn't do it. Of course. Something we passed on, but we do have certain guidelines on when we do run our background checks on borrowers and certain things that don't fit in uh, through either our investors or whatnot, we do stay away from. But we've seen stuff like that. Um, we've seen all the way to other stuff. You know, oh, wow. We've had people trying to fake identities. Our underwriting team is pretty solid on catching these things. You know, they, they built a good track record on that. That is really one for the bucks. Great story to tell at parties or pitches. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Michael. Definitely. Michael, how do you see us you know, coming out of this situation and what do you see for the future for next year and beyond? I mean, I see a big bounce back on the, on the mortgage side. I mean, I think people are going to be closing now and doing loans. In my personal opinion, I think 2021 is going to be huge. That's obviously, I mean, at the end of the year, they're expecting a vaccine to hit, there's elections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So you've had some time at home. Have you been watching anything interesting or reading anything different that you could share with us? Uh, time at home is definitely, I think, the one thing that's outside of real estate. You give a lot of credit to the moms out there dealing with the babies. Oh, yeah, of course. That You see how hard that is during the day. Outside of that, I think you see a different part of your borrowers. Uh, you see a lot more of their life, their asset management, what they need help from. A lot of these real estate guys, they take pride in their portfolios, being able to pay. Uh, it's a big thing for them. And you see as maybe a softer side of some of these guys where when they do need help and how they work with you, you know, we are blessed to work with like an amazing group of guys. And I think you're able to see another side of people through stuff like this. So 
whether it's the tough guy working with you for donations saying, hey, if you're if you're trying to get food into certain areas, this place needs will we'll love to join you. So I think you see the humanity side of some of your borrowers and people within your process. Mm-hmm. I also think another thing you see is very different is a lot of people think it's shut down or, or the companies are shut down because the office is not there. I think it's cool to see the people that are still out there working. You know, construction girls don't stop because construction is considered essential. So you do see people still doing inspections and going out there for your company and for the borrowers. And you give those guys a lot of credit. Same thing with appraisers. You know, loans can still be done. So you have people go out there in tougher conditions. And, you know, a lot of people, you look at different essential workers. But, you know, I think building homes and housing is still part of that. And, you know, a lot of people out there were doing this and helping everything progress during a time where it was a stop. So it's pretty cool to see different sides of the business continue and how they continue. And I think one of the biggest things was closings now. Yeah. You used to sit in the room, especially in New York, you'd sit in there with a borrower's attorney, bank attorney, seller's attorney. Um, you'd have the buyer, the seller. If there's multiple buyers signing on a loan, you'd have 10 to 15 people in a room for a commercial closing. Now you have nobody. Wow. So you have e-closings, you have mobile notaries, uh, virtual notaries. So the world is a little different on that side as well. So this is the stuff you see at home, like not actually seeing a closing, but it's still happening. 100%. And I guess this is a great way for you to get the message out. Share States is still strong and open for business. Thank you for joining us, Michael. We always like to ask, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? And how can they get in touch? Best way is uh, email. Just Michael at Share States. Very simple. You're always also welcome. I, my cell phone is always out there. So once you email me back, I'll reply back. You'll have my full information and card. And, um, you know, we try to get back to everyone within a day on everything. So definitely reach out. And uh, looking forward to working with everyone. Great. Michael, it was a pleasure to meet you and chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Take care. Stay safe. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you learned something new. Tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry. And until then, take care. This was BIPS, your peek into the lender landscape. As Jay-Z says, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Kim, everyone's already home. Oh.